0: I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda
1: and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training and I offer transformational coaching, but
0: that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the
1: intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life.
0: Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us.
1: Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast.
0: Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. Today, Amy and I are
1: going to be talking about the power of the breath, how this regular function of our bodies that we don't even have to put any thought into can be so powerful in helping to shift our mood to improve our focus, to improve things like anxiety and help us live in the present moment, the benefits are really endless. And as far as yoga and Ayurveda is concerned, um, ancient yogis were talking about the breath and its power a long time ago. And I took a huge deep breath before we started this podcast, Amy. How about you? I did too. So what was the first encounter that you had with noticing how Changing your breath made a difference for you?
0: When I look back, the first time I realized how powerful the breath was was pretty late in my adulthood, I would say. I never really paid it much attention. When I was in the hospital, we were learning to intubate, to put a breathing tube down. And our instructor said, as we're doing this, to hold our breath because. What we're doing is we're creating a momentary lack of our patience to be able to take a breath. And so we needed to realize we needed to do this quickly. And so while we were being taught to intubate somebody to put a breathing tube down, we were told to hold our breath. And if we were running out of breath, we needed to stop what we were doing and assist them in breathing. And it was the first time that I realized how long or how short my breath could be. I wasn't recognizing that that was a very long time for my patients to not be able to take a breath when I had to hold my breath with them. And then to finally take a breath and how relieving that was. And um, so that was very, that was the first time I can recall manipulating the breath. And then the feelings that that brought up into me were very interesting after that. So I started to pay attention to that, like, oh, I'm holding my breath and as I would work in the hospital and I would be in very high stress situations and very intense moments, I found that I was holding my breath quite frequently Mm -hmm. and I intentionally began then to exhale whenever I got the moment, the opportunity and I would take this long exhale and it would Slow things down for me and it would ground me and it would enable me to focus. And that was a tool that I began to then use more and more in the emergency department. And I didn't, I wasn't even studying yoga or Ayurveda at that point. I think it goes back to that movie, Waiting to Exhale. And (laughs) these women are in this these tumultuous experiences in their lives. And you think about the title of that movie, they're waiting to exhale, that we hold our breath, that we're tense, that we're holding on or hanging on. And then we're given the opportunity to exhale. That was so interesting to me because it seems so universal. Anyone could use this technique. I found myself using that technique, just exhaling Mm -hmm. while I was working in the emergency room or in the trauma center that I would exhale, that I was wait. I found myself waiting to exhale. And then when I would give myself the opportunity to exhale, the change that it would provide for my mind and my body and my emotions was pretty interesting.
1: It really is. And even to this day, now that I've learned so much about the breath, I'll still notice that when my mind is driving me on from task to task and I check in, I'll notice that I'm holding my breath and I have to remind myself about the power of the exhale. But I relate with you in that it was yoga that first taught me about being conscious about my breath, but the only time before that that anybody had ever spoken to me about the breath is of course when I was pregnant and I was about to give birth to our daughter. We went to the classes and we learned about the breath, but then when it came to putting that in practice when I was in labor, Mm -hmm. I didn't and it it wasn't you know if i go back into that time it wasn't that i was attempting to be negligent or not follow the rules but the experience as as anyone who's had a child knows is so unexpected the sensations and it's different for everyone i can only speak to my experience but for me the 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 pain was so unexpected and blinding that I, of course, was holding my breath. This is what we all do in moments of suffering, whether it be physical or emotional pain, we tend to hold our breath. And I did that for hours at a time, just just clenching down, clamping down, holding my breath and waiting for the contraction to end. And it wasn't until the next nurse came on her shift, and you can probably resonate with this story, That you know, she was checking how long I'd been in labor, and she was checking that nothing was moving. You know, there Mm -hmm. was there was we weren't progressing at all. And then she was noticing how I was handling the contractions, and she said, "You've got to open your eyes, and look at your husband, and relax your jaw and relax your shoulders, and try to take a few breaths." And when I was able to attempt that, but wasn't easy then finally i made some progression towards being able to have grace and she was making the progressions as well but as long as i was constricting as long as i was holding my breath there was absolutely no movement so that was that was very telling and it was also so reflective of the way i feel like i had lived my entire life up to that you know my personal birth story was reflective of how clenched and tense and and stressed i was and so thankfully i mean i can always wish yoga had come to me a little bit sooner but it came to me when i was ready the teacher arrives when the student is ready and that's when i did formally learn how incredible the breath can be. And that's the story I've shared here. That's the reason that yoga is even a part of my life is that first class and being directed to become so aware of my breath and to deepen my breath so purposefully doing that for 90 minutes and having to also focus on the breath at the same time was such an incredible transformation for my body, which I'm not sure when the last deep breath had been experienced really from a conscious level and also had such a shift for my mind. And then that's what we come to learn. What I had learned on the mat in that first class is what I then read in all the big books and from all the ancient sages, that the breath is such a mirror of the mind. And for when we are breathing in a quick and shallow way, you can bet that our thoughts are going to be erratic and quick and fast moving and unquestioned and unmanaged. And when we bring some conscious awareness to the breath, when we begin to slow it down, and if we match that with oh, relaxing the belly a little bit and relaxing the shoulders and the jaw and anyone listening, you know, if you're in an appropriate place where you can give this a go just relaxing the low belly and letting the shoulders drop back and letting the face relax and then taking just even one long breath. And as you say, with a little bit more attention to that long exhale, it shifts a lot. And that's what you and I are going to get into in the heart of this podcast is all of the different techniques there are, all of the different ways that the breath can support us. And even though we're talking about concepts and insights that come from the path of yoga and Ayurveda, you and I are always talking about using those practices in a real world context because we are living in this world. We are not spending hours a day doing complicated breath work and um, achieving Transcendent states, as much as I would love to say I have the time for that, we don't. You know, sometimes it's six deep breaths between activities. Sometimes it's a conscious breath because I realize I've been planning in my mind for the last hour and I haven't really paid attention to what's going on in the here and now, right? So now that you know what you know about the breath when it comes to balancing, you know, the doshas. As far as Ayurveda is concerned, this is a term that we will mention a lot on this podcast because this is the heart of Ayurveda. Ayurveda will see a human being as comprised of these different energies, if you will. And we, Amy gives such a beautiful explanation for the doshas in episode one, but we'll always be reviewing through these podcasts. But it's basically three sets of doshas. They're related to the elements. Every person has them. And depending on time of life, time of year, what we're eating, what we're thinking, how we're breathing, one or more of these doshas, which are related to air, fire, earth, and water, can become out of balance. And there are specific breath techniques that are really like medicine for those imbalances that can cause all sorts of states of diseases. So, my question for you, my first question for you. Is now that you know what you do about the breath and you offer in classes and to clients, what are your favorite ways to think about it and to relate with it?
0: My first favorite way is just to notice it Mm -hmm. because I think we go through our day, like you said, you know, our days are very busy and very hectic, and we go through our day not even being aware of the breath. And I love to just take Notice of it and notice that the breath comes and goes, and we can manipulate it to an extent, but when we're unaware of it, it still occurs. And I think that is miraculous. Like that, I think the body's fascinating, and I think that's one of the most fascinating things is that we tell our body to breathe or not, and our heart beats, and we're not conscious of that. So just being aware of the breath first just noticing that you're breathing. In yoga class, I, I ask my students just to notice the body breathing itself because we're not breathing the body. You know, we're not saying, okay, now inhale, now exhale, now inhale, now exhale. And do you know how many breaths you take in a day on average? 10 to 20 times per minute, depending on your age and your size. And then that could be up to 17,000 and above breaths per day. So 17,000 to possibly maybe 30,000 breaths in a day. And to just notice a few of those, I think is really warranted to just tap in, to slow down, to just notice first that you're breathing, I think can have such a profound effect on your mood, on your tension level like you said dropping your shoulders down slowing time down just noticing first that you're breathing is one of my favorite techniques to use around the breath
1: i agree noticing the breath is the doorway into living in the present moment and we've said this here before that's that's the central practice for me and of my yoga practice is again and again being able to come back to right here right now and so when I notice my breath it leads me into noticing my body which is the anchor of the present moment and for my meditation practice I've always been someone that's just simply watch the breath so I also love to direct people who've never been used to bringing any conscious awareness to their breath the act of watching your breath and placing All of your awareness onto it, all of your focus onto it, noticing that cool air in through the nose and noticing the warm air out. If you are giving the mind that focal point, then there's a lot less time and space for all of the planning and the rumination and the unquestioned thoughts that we're having every day. The breath is a perfect tool for the mind. And this is what we learn in our yoga practice and in these wisdom traditions that our minds are unruly and they can be chaotic and turbulent. And most of us, we're moving through our day-to-day life just consistently reacting and identifying with our thoughts without even being aware of it. And so when we decide... I'm going to sit here for five minutes and simply watch my breath. It's not that that mind will ever stop. It's not that thoughts will stop thinking. But because we're giving the mind a tool like the breath, there's just less space for that. And then yoga and Ayurveda teach us that we can do different things in time with the breath. We can find a mantra that we're repeating in time with the breath. And what's become one of my favorite things to do with the breath to become present and also to continue to live intentionally is I like relating my inhalation to this idea of receiving. And I like linking my exhalation to either what I'm letting go of or something that I'm offering. And I'll do that in my own personal practice or when I'm meditating or just when I notice that I haven't been present and I want to come back to an intention, to a North Star, and I'll think about, okay, you know, how am I wanting to feel today? How am I choosing to show up? And it's usually in my role as a mom and a a wife, usually compassionate. So I will imagine breathing in the sense of being compassionate and breathing in the memory of when I felt very content and loving and patient and understanding, and then exhaling tension or exhaling this idea of what I'd like to offer, what I'd like to offer out to my family. There are countless ways that I use the breath, honestly, but those are two that come to mind. And, you know, before we go on and we continue to talk about all of our favorite ways to relate with the breath, it's important to talk about how when we are consciously manipulating the breath, we are affecting so many different aspects of who we are. And this goes back to the koshas, which we'll always discuss on this podcast because it's relation to yoga and Ayurveda. But those two systems see the human body as this multidimensional being with different layers, just like an onion. And on an earlier podcast uh, about the stories we tell ourselves, we talked about monomaya kosha, which is the layer of us that's related to our, our storytelling and our sort of our lower thoughts. We have our physical body um, and we have the body that is affected most deeply by the breath, which is pranamaya kosha,
0: the subtle body or the vital body that sits between the physical body and the kosha or the mind body, you know, it's the link between the two. And if you have ever experienced your breath, you know, if you are experiencing anxiety or a turbulent mind or feeling very disconnected, and you begin to notice your breath, you might have that sense of dropping down into your body. And that's the bridge, that's the link between the two, between the physical body and the intellectual body. And so the pranamaya kosha can help us get out of our head and into our body. That's one of my favorite ways um, to think about pranamaya kosha. Prana, you know, this life force energy is is everything that we take in that sustains us. Um, We're taking in prana all the time. We take in prana with the foods that we eat and the things that we see through our eyes and the sounds that we hear. It's everything that we take in to sustain us. And so you want to seek things that are high prana, you know, high quality foods, high quality connections to people, listen to things that are pleasant to listen to you know don't surround yourself with a lot of toxic noise or conversations that that don't support and nourish you and so prana in itself is all around us and we want to look for things that are high prana and then this pranamaya kosha this vital body is is that bridge between the two between the body and the mind
1: yeah this is such an elegant system i love everything that you said about prana And everything that we take in can affect this level of who we are, including, think about when we're scrolling on social media. Many of us have curated our feed so that what we're seeing might be high in prana, so that perhaps we're feeling a lift or inspired. But what tends to happen when we're scrolling is we'll feel more tired, we'll feel more run down and more of a negative emotion after a scroll because perhaps we haven't curated our feed or our feed is bringing us into comparison and self-doubt, and that's a sign that we need to bring in more positive prana in order to balance that aspect of who we are. And the yogis talked about when you're starting a yoga practice, yoga used to look a lot different than it does now. Most of the physical postures were seated, and they were in order to facilitate states of meditation using pranayama, which is another way to say breath work in order to achieve those states. But a lot of classic teachers talk about, you know, it's okay to begin with physical postures. And sometimes if you've just begun yoga or if you've been off for a while and you're just getting back into it, you can start by creating the asana and just moving our bodies in well-aligned postures can help to affect this level of who we are. This prana kosha can help to affect our energy. So even if your breath isn't super full, long, and deep in a yoga class, you will tend to feel more vital and energized afterward. If you feel depleted after a yoga practice, that can be because of pushing too hard, holding your breath, or moving your body into postures that maybe just aren't appropriate. They might even hurt. So you're getting the picture here. That's going to take away from your life force, this internal life force that's in everything and all around us, but that we can balance in ourselves. However, in a yoga practice, if you are to blend appropriately aligned postures for your body, and that is different for every practitioner, with long, slow, steady breath, then afterwards, there is a very good chance that you will feel more balanced in all aspects of your being, your physical body, your mind, your energy. And then the other two layers of the koshas that we haven't mentioned yet are the layer of the higher mind or our intuition, you know, our more expansive perspective And then yoga teaches us that there's a core, anandamaya kosha, or our true nature. This place within us that yoga teaches us is goodness and present and contentment and peace, like happiness without a reason. And we find that when we balance this pranamaya kosha, it's like it lifts the veils of the other aspects of who we are. And that is what kosha is translated as a veil. And we are able to access that place. And that's why sometimes, and I don't want to create expectations, but sometimes after shavasana or in a yoga posture, in a meditation, or just in a sweet moment of your life when you're very present, that it seems like you touch into a place of feeling perfectly content and at peace. And yoga would tell you that the koshas have been lifted and you're able to sit in the center. And a great road in is through the breath because the breath, as I understand it, is really the most base level of prana.
0: Yeah, I love how you described the asana practice and using the breath because students can come to the asana practice maybe a little too aggressively sometimes and lose their breath and or get themselves into a posture that... Maybe the breath is constricted. There can be some frustration and some struggle and to encourage those students maybe to back off a little bit so that they can return to the breath, that the breath is the most vital part of their practice. And that can be hard sometimes because some of us can have an ego and we want to achieve these postures and we want to work our bodies and, we can do things that can cause us to lose our breath. And so bringing in that idea of the asana practice and maybe backing off a little bit or backing out of a posture so that we can return to the breath, I think mm-hmm. is a really important thing that you brought up. Mm-hmm.
1: And it doesn't come easy. Like it's okay if we start with learning the shapes and because it's challenging to think of everything. Put your foot here, put your hip here, your shoulder is doing this, your hand is doing this, soften your face and now remember to breathe. I mean, it's a lot to think about, which, which is what I love about it because you, your mind is focusing on so many different aspects of the present moment that you have no choice but to be very present. And you notice if your mind wanders, then you lose your breath and oftentimes you lose your balance as well. But this is a good time to thread the doshas back in because what it made me think of you and you were talking about how we approach our yoga practice, and well, how we approach our yoga practice is how we approach everything in our life. And you know me well enough to know, well, we share this, but I have a bit of a pitta mind. My, my doshas are vada, pitta primarily, um, but there's a lot of water there too, kapha. And what I'll notice with a Pitta mind, so Pitta is related to the element of fire. And those of us who are Pitta, when Pitta is imbalanced, we feel determined. We feel like we have lots of energy. We feel like we have great appetites. It's, it's a great place from manifesting and transforming and getting things done. But those of us who have higher Pitta constitutions, we can move out of balance into, um, well, an imbalance of pitta. And that looks like an overreaching, overdriving, easily irritated, over controlling, over striving type A. And it's so easy to slip into that place. And breath is the medicine for balancing all of these dosha imbalances because when it comes to a pitta imbalance, not only is that affecting the mind, but that's affecting the body. And Ayurveda would say that inflammatory conditions are pitta imbalances, just as we've talked about anxiety, which is my history, being a vata imbalance, too much dryness, too much air, too much turbulence in the mind. And kapha, in an imbalance would be more of the depressive stagnant states. And it's so exciting in this work that we do in our lives, how different techniques, different ways that we shape the breath is actually another form of medicine. And I'm I'm using that term really intentionally. And that comes from my yoga therapy teacher, Brant. I am working with a client who's a bit resistant to some of the different breath techniques. And or not resistant to them but not making a point of practicing them and and it's all a practice right and we get the m- most benefits when we are practicing something regularly but it's hard to m- make a habit of new tools and techniques and my teacher said you know let him know that it's another form of medicine and that really clicked for me because i use breath to balance myself when I'm starting to feel that I'm moving into an imbalance in in one of my doshas. So I love uh, the different aspects of the breath when it comes to how we can balance ourselves. When it comes to imbalances that you might experience, Amy, how has a breath supported you?
0: So I am fairly tri-doshic. So my imbalances can come through any of the doshas depending on any my stress level, my amount of sleep, what season it is, um, I I can experience any of the imbalances as any of us can. Yeah. So when I find that my vata is out of balance, I turn to grounding breath work. So grounding, slow, long inhales and exhales, and just belly you know letting my belly soften and sitting on the ground and just ease full grounding breathing can really help to ground when i feel vata is out of balance when i feel anxious or turbulent or spacey and i like you share a fair amount of pitta as well and become can become frustrated and Using some of the same techniques, I can use the same breath work there as well to ground and cool myself. But also, I like to use um, the the shitali. It has a couple variations because it depends on whether you can roll your tongue or not. Oh, you know, yes, the, yes, that, yes, I know this that, one. Yeah, yeah, the cool technique that when kids were in when you were, you know, maybe in grade school, if you could roll your tongue up mm-hmm. like a like a tube. I can't do that. I can do that. Yeah. People can or they can't. You can't yes. be stopped. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a like a genetic thing. Mm-hmm. I cannot do that. But if you can do that, then you roll your tongue up and you breathe in air through your through your mouth with your tongue rolled up. And if you try that, you'll notice immediately that the air is cool. Yes. As it, as it travels across your tongue. Yes. And just spending a moment or two doing that will cool you down. Literally. Yeah. yeah. Cool the mind down, cool the body down, cool everything down as Pitta, like you said, is related to fire. And when we are overheated, whether it's in the mind or the body, we need a moment to cool down. Mm-hmm. So, using, so using that technique, I really like, um, if I feel like my Pitta is out of balance.
1: You know, in this uh, yoga therapy course, we've learned something new that I hadn't heard before when it comes to balancing Pitta. And I want to keep on this road a little bit because in our typical day-to-day life, irritation is an emotion that can come up very often, especially as we drive ourselves on to complete all of these things that we think we need to do. But um, I've learned that pitta has its physical home in the belly, which makes so much sense to me when you think about the fire we have in our belly. And we want to keep that inner flame stoked appropriately. So it helps us to manifest and it helps us to reach our goals and our dreams, but we don't want that fire to burn out of control, nor do we want to quell the fire. And it's just a technique that I'd never done before. And we won't get too much into the specifics on a podcast, we understand, but it's been so helpful for me. And it's just a very, very slow and deliberate kapalabhati. And that's, again, this is this is a podcast, but that's sort of the, the forceful quick exhale and then breathing into the belly. But the purpose of that and the effects of that, it just absolutely dissipates the driving mind and it brings on so much calm and contentment. And I only speak to that because I want to go to How we can support ourselves in our breath and our day to day irritations, because I think that's really going to be the most useful. Mm -hmm. So, I wanted to share that in my life as a mom and a wife, one of the habitual areas in my romantic relationship that has brought irritation to me is my husband's tendency to, in the middle of a conversation with me, walk away. (laughs) <laughs> and and in his mind, he's not walking away. In his mind, he's still listening to me, but he's going to grab something or put something away or get something because after 20 years with this man, I understand the way his brain works. And he's, he's really always answering that inner call of what's next, what's next, what's next. It's very hard for him to be what's now. And As we know, and as we will continue to talk about on this podcast, when it comes to the circumstances in our life, especially the actions and words of other people, oftentimes it's, most of the time, it's not the other person, it's what we're making that mean. And so in the past, and sometimes still now, (laughs) when I am speaking and he turns and walks away, I have unconsciously kind of had a reaction because... I realize I'm making that mean that I'm not worth listening to or looking at. And that's triggering some really deep abandonment issues. And then that would cause this inner burst of irritation and a flare of anger. And in the past, that would cause huge heated arguments because I would probably, in his eyes, really overreacting and the guy's just going to get a drink of water, (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> poor guy <laughs> yeah, I know poor guy yeah, but
1: I agree <laughs> but when instances like that happen when I can now watch my mind and notice emotions rising notice the heat rising out of the belly and up into the head which is a sign you know that pitta might be unbalanced we want to become sensitized to where our pitta is meant to live in our belly When I notice that heat rising, I will, if it's appropriate, sort of take myself away for a moment. But even if I can't, relaxing my belly and slowing down my breath is the most powerful way where I can pause and detach myself from my first reaction. Because I think we all know that that first reaction that we have in our lives and our relationships... That first reaction, oftentimes not helpful. No. 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 Oftentimes it's, it's a habit. It's a pattern. It's triggering something. And the beauty of a few conscious deep breaths, or maybe even just one, is it sends a signal to the body to calm down. Nervous system calms down. And it gives the mind a space because, as you so beautifully said, there's that bridge between the mind and the breath and the body. And then we can ask ourselves, how do I want to show up in this situation? Do I want to react in this way? Or how can I show up as more compassionate? So that is such a real world way. Forget any you know, fancy, complicated yogic breath technique, but that is just a real world way that the breath supports me all of the time.
0: Hmm. Hmm. I love that. I had this visual of you know, you had talked about Kapalabhati, which is that forceful exhale through the nose, and I had this vision of when people are angry or inflamed, you often see them breathe, you know, out their nose, almost like snort out their nose, or this image of like a a bull getting ready to charge. You often see them breathe, you know, take a quick exhale out of their nose, and I just had this vision of. Of your husband walking away and you <laughs> <laughs> exhaling sharply out of your nose,
1: <laughs> and you know that exhale as a way of channeling anger. Um, this is something that I've come to do. Now, you and I both read about this and learned about this in the text, the language of the, of, the language of emotion by Carla McLaren, and she had this technique when it came to dealing with anger of, and I can't remember if she used the breath, but in the way it works for me, because we learn about these tools and then we use them in our own life and we adjust them so that it works for us. The way it works for me is if I am experiencing the emotion of anger, I like the idea of channeling it in a healthy way so that I Am not being unhealthy with it, and I am not you know crossing the boundaries of others, and we know that anger is so related to boundaries. so that is a practice that I will do, and i I'm happy to share that here is I will take myself to some place on my own, and I will imagine that that fiery anger is infused in my exhalations, and I will imagine that I can actually exhale a boundary around myself, like a fiery boundary that's going to protect me and others. And then inside that boundary, that's where I remind myself to do the work. That's where I remind myself that my feelings and my emotions, they're mine and others are theirs. And then that's where I ask myself this beautiful question that's related to anger that I'm sure others have shared, but Tara Brock is where I heard it. When we're feeling angry, a great question to ask yourself is, "Okay, what needs do I need met that are not being met in the moment?" And so I'm wondering. I shared a place in my day to day that that will typically irritate me, um, and you know, my answer to that question in that situation that I was describing with Cliff is being, you know, my the need of being heard and being seen, I'm perceiving that that's not being met. And so if I were to put myself in a boundary, that would be a need that I would give to myself because ultimately we know that we, we cannot gather from anywhere outside of ourselves to really become filled up. And so I have lots of different ways in which I sort of gather and, and see and hear myself. But I'm interested too as you know in in your experience when it comes to that and in a place where you might find that irritation and if you're interested in looking at that question what needs do i need met
0: it's a lot of the same it's not being seen not being heard not being acknowledged my needs not being prioritized i feel like that is a core wound for me going back to you know being young And not feeling like any of those things were given a priority maybe by those around me. And then, like you said, giving that to myself, you know, knowing now as an adult that that is my work is to prioritize my needs, my wants, even if, you know, I'm not getting those needs met by those around me, which, you know, I do now, but I can quickly tell that story of you know not being seen not being heard being taken advantage of maybe and that can that can quickly come to the surface
1: yeah it's so interesting we all have those deep wounds and They do come to the service all the time. And sometimes the people around us see them so clearly, but we can't see them for ourselves. And so practices that bring us into the present moment, again, this is the key in order to start watching all of this as we become adept at something as simple as, or it's not simple as something like watching the breath. Then we can learn to watch our thoughts. And that's when things get really interesting. It's better than any Netflix show you could ever watch, yeah. watching the patterns of our own mind. So let's close here with just an overview of some other techniques and concepts when it comes to this pranamaya kosha that we might not have mentioned yet. I think it's just worthy of mentioning that. There are countless pranayamas or breath techniques that we can use in order to balance ourselves. And whether you've experienced yoga, meditation or not, um, there's also different locks, right? So different um, breath techniques might encourage a gentle retention of the breath, either holding out the exhale or holding out the inhale for different reasons. But Amy and I would always say, just make sure that you're always practicing with somebody that's very experienced. And what I would also like to offer about that is very early in my experience with yoga, when I was still very anxious, I was pretty much sampling anything that the yoga teacher suggested. And the first time that I was invited to retain the breath, it actually brought on Anxiety for me. And I know that in a lot of teacher trainings, they're teaching alternate nostril breath or a gentle retention of the breath in order to calm the mind. And I, I'm just here to say that we're all individuals, and what works for one may not work for the other. For me, I, I felt anxious when I was re- retaining the breath. So that's not something that I tend to teach, especially in a public class. Mm-hmm. It is enough. And this is famously said by Eckhart Tolle, for those of you who read The Power of Now or The New Earth, but this is something that I discovered that first time on the yoga mat. It is enough to take one conscious breath, because sometimes that is all you need to arrive back in the here and now. No present, no future focused thinking, no past focused thinking, which we're not Living life in the only moment that we can, right here, this conversation with you—that's the only thing that's going on.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad that you said that because just like asana practice or you know the posture practice, you know we have advanced postures like standing on your head or doing full wheel. Pranayama has a lot of power too, and I'm so happy that you brought that up because if we truly embrace the power of pranayama, we have to recognize that certain pranayama techniques are advanced. And like you said, having a practitioner that can guide you through pranayama practices or breath work practices is so important because like you said, emotions can come up or it can trigger feelings of anxiety or anger and just noticing the breath could be
1: enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for emotional processing, the breath is essential. We've mentioned here that it is natural to hold our breath and stifle our anger and stop our tears. But emotions are energy in motion. And how do we keep energy in motion is we keep the breath And you are so better able to move through emotions and allow emotions to move through you with that long, slow, deep breath, then holding it in, then resisting your emotions, then running from them. And you also give yourself the opportunity to detach slightly because just as we have to learn not to believe everything we think, it's also important not to believe everything that we feel because our emotions are tied so deeply to memory and to some of our triggers. So breath can be this beautiful resting point to decide from the here and now the choice that we would like to make rather than having it sometimes feel like we don't even have free will, that we're just a a victim of our thoughts and our emotions.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it can be very empowering.
1: Another way that yoga would teach us that can balance our vital energy, that can balance our prana for those who are interested in going down this road is the practice of mudras. I find this incredibly interesting. And for me, it's been incredibly helpful. For those newer to the practice, it can seem really theoretical, maybe even woo-woo or weird, but these different gestures that we make with our fingers and our hands, right? When you see like that classic yogi sitting in lotus with hands in a mudra index finger and thumb, that's what we mean when we talk about mudras. But the ancient yogis were exploring all of these. They were exploring Work with their breath. They were exploring different shapes and gestures with their hands in order to affect this inner body, this subtle body, our internal life force. And they were taking note of shifts. And so, some mudras are for different balances when it comes to different emotions or for different physical um, characteristics. I love to teach one that helps to quell anxiety, and that is just tucking the thumb into the palm and wrapping the other four fingers around it in a very loose fist and then placing the fists at the thighs, Adi Mudra, A-D-H-I. And most people that I teach that to, because it's something that you can do very inconspicuously. You can be about to make a big presentation and feeling a bit nervous and jumpy about it and and place your hands in that mudra. And it, it is meant to calm the nervous system right down. And for me, it works. And, and, i 'm not just taking everything at face value i 'm really practicing these techniques before i 'll speak about them um, but for me that one that one really works and and i 've explored a few of them that if i 'm feeling a little bit more in the stagnant, like the dosha kappa is imbalanced, there are mudras that help to create more fire in the belly and for me, those work
0: mhm mhm it 's so funny you brought up that mudra because. When I look back on my life, before I ever encountered yoga or Ayurveda, I was doing this breath work and not knowing that that's what I was doing. And I was doing mudras and not knowing that that's what I was doing. A friend of mine in the emergency department and I would always call each other out because when things got stressful, we would find ourselves with our thumbs tucked in our fists and we would know that the other was feeling overwhelmed or anxious. And we would say, you have T-Rex hands right now. <laughs> and because it was this image of these little fists, you know, with their fingers, with our thumbs tucked in, with our fingers wrapped around, held down at our sides. And we were doing mudras and we didn't even know that that's what we were doing.
1: Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a story that, My dad came home and told us when I was just a kid, and this flooded back into my memory when I first started to learn about mudras. My mom and my dad used to be elite marathon runners, and I remember my dad coming home from some crazy two and a half hour training run, and he was talking about something that he was doing out there that seemed to give him a boost when he was going up a hill. He said, "I touch my." index finger and my thumb together. And it just seems to give me this boost as I go up a hill. And he had no concept of mudra or, or yoga or anything, but I reminded him of that. I was like, dad, you're, you're a yogi at heart. You're doing mudryos
0: even before mudras were cool. Yeah. Wisdom, the wisdom of the body that our conscious mind isn't even aware of.
1: That is so cool that you just said that. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening can really relate with that. Times when we have used the breath or we have just instinctually done different things with our body in order to shift our state. And we'd love to hear about that. We'd love to hear about that on our Facebook page, the Radiant Warrior Podcast, or over on Instagram um, at the Radiant Warrior Podcast. We would love to hear those stories. That would be so cool. There are countless podcasts worth of things that we could say about the breath, which is amazing when it comes to, you know, this function of the body that's just a breathe in and a breathe out. Mm -hmm. But what I don't want to forget to say about the breath is something that I read in one of Mr. Iyengar's book, one of the um, classic yoga teachers of, of the practice It's stuck with me for years because I think it's so beautiful. And he thinks about the inhalation as this, and he refers to the inhalation as what it is, this place of expansion that brings our awareness to our outer world. And then our exhalation brings us back home into our core into that true nature. And I invite anyone listening to to take a time and sit to feel that way because the inhalation is this place of expansion and you notice the fullness of your body and you start to notice sensations of the air around you and your outer experience. And then as you exhale, there is a natural pause, even without having to hold the breath out, there's a bit of a natural pause at the end of the exhalation. And that does seem to be a place of greater stillness. So even if meditation has been something that's been resisted, or you're someone who said, I can't slow down my thoughts, I can't still my mind, I can't meditate, I can't focus, there might just be even a micro moment of stillness at the end of that exhalation. And I found that very helpful. And then another cool way of relating to our world as it relates to the breath is think about our seasons. Here we are in mid-spring and mid-spring would be just at the beginning of that inhalation And then as we reach summer, which, by the way, is full Pitta season, it's full, it's expansion, it's lots of energy, it's full growth, it's full life. And then as we begin to exhale, that's when we start to turn the calendar towards fall. And then the end of the exhalation, that's the quiet and the stillness and the renewal of the middle of winter.
0: That's so beautiful. I have a quote I wanted to share with you. So this quote is credited to Kundalini yoga teacher and author Tommy Rosen. Um, But he says, you were born on an inhale and you will die on an exhale. Between those two breaths, you have your life. When you pay attention to the breath, employing it to help you on your journey, you will have the keys to the kingdom.
1: That's a perfect place to end because that just wrapped up everything that we spoke about. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that.
0: It just found me today.
1: All right, my friend. Beautiful conversation with you as always. And we look forward to next week where we will be inviting another guest onto the Radiant Warrior podcast, a very talented somatic psychotherapist who has so many interesting things to talk to us about. And I believe she will be kind enough to share her story of disordered eating with us and how she went from a very scary place to a place of each and every day purposefully choosing life. I find her very inspiring and I know our listeners will too. Mm, I can't wait. All right, my friend, take care and I'll talk to you in a week's time. All right, love you. Love you. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it.
0: And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.